Hello and welcome to the A440 Podcast, the one music podcast everyone can get in tune with. I'm your host, Charles Fiore. Today, I talk with Mark Gelfo, the founder of Modacity. Now, Modacity is a practice app for musicians, but it's not your ordinary practice app. Yes, you can set schedules, you can set reminders, you can even record yourself so you can get instantaneous feedback on the thing you've just played. But Modacity is more than a practice app. It's an entire rehearsal environment. You can download it from the iTunes store and check out all the cool details at Modacity, that's M-O-D-A-C-I-T-Y dot C-O, or uh, jump on our webpage at a440pod.com and follow the link from there. So like I said, Modacity is a practice app, but it's not your ordinary practice app. Now, if you're like me at all, then you hate practice, right? Practice is boring. Practice is scales and uh, you know failure and rote memorization. But Mark is a big proponent of what he terms deliberate practice. And through this deliberate practice, musicians and any artist for that matter can improve their craft 10 times, 100 times faster than they could by practicing the same old way that people maybe have been practicing since Jesus was a boy, right? This is a new, deliberate way of rehearsing, and the results seem to be really impressive. Mark is just a really cool guy himself. He's a world-class musician. He toured internationally with the San Francisco Symphony. He studied cognitive science as an undergraduate, and he's an entrepreneur and a businessman. So he's got a lot to say, he drops a lot of wisdom, and we, we have a really great conversation, and it goes on for a good while. So one thing, Modacity has been generous enough to offer listeners of the A440 podcast a special link through which you can purchase a lifetime subscription to Modacity Premium for just $115, okay? That is very cheap because monthly subscriptions are you know $9 a month. So uh, again, that's uh, modacity.co backslash A440. Uh, and check it out. You can subscribe for the rest of your life and you start deliberately practicing, uh, start seeing vast improvements on your, uh, on your instrument. All right, thanks so much to Mark and to the team at Modacity for this very generous uh, discount. Uh, for friends of the A440 podcast. Well, Mark, um, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the A440 podcast. Really appreciate you making the time. So My pleasure to be here. Uh, I got to get this out of the way. So we're both uh, graduates of Northwestern University. I mean, go Wildcats, right? Woo. <laughs> <laughs> when, when were you at Northwestern? Uh, it, it was 2000 to 2004 that I was there. Okay, awesome. We were, yeah, we overlapped a little bit. I think I was there like 2002 to 2006. I was in the graduate program though. I don't know if, did you, what did you, yeah. So um, did that influence you at all? Like Chicago? I mean, I'm always interested like where musicians come from and stuff like that. Would you say that Chicago had any kind of influence on you musically or just career-wise and stuff like that beyond the obvious schooling? <laughs> Yeah, beyond the obvious, which was which was huge. Yeah. By the way, um, I grew up in Florida, sunny little beach town in Florida called Vero Beach. So I grew up in Vero Beach, and 
as you know, that's a pretty small town and it's really wonderful weather. And I think that Chicago can be brutal in the winters. And that brutality, I think, creates a certain kind of uh, firmness and resilience. So if you were going to ask me outside of the basic education and, you know, the sort of rites of passage, like taking the L, uh, that cold winter, the cold winter has really shaped me and, and taught me something. And then, of course, now you're in California, so you found the perfect balance. Is that true? Mm. Is that the, yeah. Uh, yeah, some <laughs> sort of. If I was in Southern California, I'd say that. San Francisco right. can be tough. And I think that's the reason why there's a lot of striving in San Francisco. I don't know if you've read these books that talk about like the latitude and there's a theory that sort of like the higher latitudes create more striving and the more tropical equatorial latitudes create cultures that are a little bit more laid back and more, more chill because, because the weather is easy, because food is easier to get. Right. They're, yeah. The resources aren't as scarce then. Right. I mean, just on, on like a primal level, is that what, is that what this, they're mm-hmm. saying? Yep. Cool. Well, Hey, tell me a little bit about Modacity and how it, how it separates itself mm-hmm. from the other practice apps on the market. Well, this actually starts at Northwestern. Um, if you look at the number of people in this world that were five time music school rejects and ended up studying cognitive science instead, and then applied cognitive science to music and had international performing careers, uh, the number is very small. <laughs> like, like one? Is that, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's not too many of us. So I did actually, I wanted to be a musician really, really badly. Sure. And I, I started playing when I was five. I started coding when I was eight. And it all kind of starts then. Like I've been at the intersection of technology and music since my youth. And I, I didn't get into Northwestern's music school, but I did get into their uh, science school. So I, I started studying computer science there and quickly transitioned to cognitive science, which is like the study of how our minds work. What is a mind? What does it mean to think, to feel? How do we process information? After my undergrad at Northwestern, I went to Indiana. I studied audio engineering and horn performance. And I practiced very differently from my peers at Indiana. I came in, I was one of the worst horn players, and I dropped out two years later because I had won a job in a symphony, which uh, I've heard that only 2% of music school grads ever get a symphony job. And I won a job without even getting a music degree. I think that's because I practice differently. I'm quite sure. And, and it's that approach to practice that you've taken in developed in this app, right? Can you yeah. talk a little, a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, when I was at Indiana, I thought, oh my God, there's so many things to practice and there's all these disparate tools and I need to take notes on my process. Like as a scientist, you know, you absolutely take laboratory notes and that's, that's my training was up to that. And we had a practice journal, but I thought this is incredibly inefficient. Like these practice journals are done like it's the 1700s. And not only that, but they don't, they're not forward looking. So what it is, in short, is a practice environment. Imagine you go into like a dojo or a, a studio where all the tools are there that you need. All the tools you don't need are missing, hidden, obscured from your view so you can focus on what matters. And you get to organize your practice in a way that 
entrains your attention on what you need to focus on in that moment to make the most progress. The way, the way it does that is you, you, know, you enter in your practice items and down the road we're working on something that basically tells you what to practice, but at this point you set up your own practice lists. And then that each practice list kind of takes you into the environment for that specific thing that you're practicing. Say it's Stairway to Heaven. Then you might have heard this, someone is noodling on guitar and they're playing Stairway to Heaven and all of a sudden they get they get a lick and they think, oh, that's cool. And I'm going to practice my pentatonic scales now. And oh, but my tone on that pentatonic wasn't quite good. So now I'm going to practice my tone. And oh man, oh yeah, there's this, this reminds me of this Hendrix lick. And it's, <laughs> there's a, a free association path, which let's call that mindless practice, aimless practice. Okay. And then there's mindful practice or goal-oriented practice. And I think it's obvious to anybody who lives in this age of over-information saturation that goal-oriented, focused practice will move you along a path of learning much, much faster. It's, you're, what you're really doing is being deliberate about when you yeah. sit down and you, you approach your instrument, right? I mean, you, yeah. you know, you're saying this is, I'm going to work on tone today. I'm going to, I mean, or, or what have you. And this, and can you, and you, and you kind of set up uh, different practice schedules in the app as well for yourself. Yeah. Is that true? Nice. Exactly. Cool. You set it up and it's a whole list. And so what I have, for example, is every single day of the week has a theme. Like Monday is my physical ease day. Tuesday is rhythm and articulation. You know, Wednesday is phrasing and emotion. And I have a very regimented sort of almost workout routine that's down to the second timed. All I have to do is hit start and it walks me through something that I know has been incredibly well designed. It makes so much sense to me when you say it, but I wonder how many musicians or artists in general actually think of it like that. Because I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a runner, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like running is the same way. If you're running, if you're trying to get a certain time in a marathon or half marathon, like you're mm-hmm. going to do different things on different days of the week to get that time. Mm-hmm. You're going to do hills, you're going to do fartleks or whatever, you know, and like, um, uh, and you're, you can be very scheduled about it when you have your practice regimen, you know, but why shouldn't music be exactly the same? Why shouldn't it be the same approach? Right. I mean, that's, is that kind of what, that's kind of what you're saying here uh, and kind of what the app helps with, right? Absolutely. I think yeah. that exercise is a really good parallel to music. And I just want to add that why shouldn't music be that way? Like, well, yeah, let's like ask that question. I think one common objection is, well, because music should be fun and it should be free, it should be creative. And my response to that is that there's not just a balance, but a synergy between structure and freedom. So that when you know you're practicing a particular song, your creative mind is completely free within that song to discover your highest artistic expression and actualization. That's what Modacity lets you do. That's, that's fantastic. In general, as an artist, I'm very much a fan of constraint because I do really truly believe that when you're under a constraint, whether it's form or style or genre or whatever, you actually are a lot more free to sort of, um, your creativity just opens up and you're much more free than if you didn't have that same constraint. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. That's awesome. So, mm-hmm. um, and I heard in a past interview that uh, you, you talk a lot about, um, this idea of being a detached kind of focus observer, uh, right? Uh, and, uh, or finding that place during, you know, during your regular, as your regular practice ritual. Um, can you talk a little bit about that at all? Do you, 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, mindfulness is a yeah. hot topic. Let's, sure. let's do an experiential way of understanding that for a second and just sort of feel your feet on the floor. Right. And you can observe that your feet are on the floor. You can feel your body in space and you can feel your shoulders right now. You can feel your neck. And I can hear my voice talking or you can hear the sound of my voice talking right now. For sure. Um, that is mindfulness in a nutshell is bringing your mind, your awareness into your experience. And when you're playing to be able to step back a little bit and observe is a very important skill that is only complemented by the skill of being able to completely throw yourself into something and be consumed by it. They're complementary. I mean, cause I guess I've noticed personally when I find I'm, I'm in a position of like detached observation, uh, maybe I have a worry that I'm going over in my mind and I mm. sort of able to detach and observe and look at that thought as just the thought. It doesn't have any necessary bearing on my, you know, my life or the present moment or reality. Uh, I can, I can make the right decision that it helps things just helps me just, you know, not panic so much or whatever. Um, but, uh, but, um, but a musician can do that as well in rehearsal and presumably in performance, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Where they're finding that position of detached, being a detached observer. I mean, they're, what are they doing there in that, in that situation? What are, what are the benefits of kind of finding that mindful place? Hmm. Well, people talk about this all over the world. Mm -hmm. You imagine, you know, I've, I've been sort of on stage a thousand people in the audience in the tuxedo and the cameras are coming up. <laughs> the red light is on. It's recording. It's live streamed on TV from, you know, like great concert hall in Europe or something. And the conductor starts conducting and it's so much and anything, any little wrong thought, if you're susceptible to it can, push you off balance in those moments. So to be able to stand back a little bit and observe and watch it all happen, first of all, there's an incredible sense of awe. Wow, this is, this is cool. And an ability to just kind of direct, to direct and know, and okay, here's the plan and, like, and to execute. And that's the executive function of the mind. That's, that's one of the purposes of mindfulness or meditation training is to be able to hone that executive function of the mind to do what you intend to do rather than to just do whatever the monkey wants to do. I love that. The executive function of the mind. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Would you say that some of the, with this, this psychological aspect of performance and rehearsal, would you say that's kind of the differentiating quality between our superstar musicians and composers and athletes and, and uh, people who don't quite reach that level. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, what athlete doesn't talk about the mental game mm -hmm. at some point, mm -hmm. you know, what coach doesn't talk about that, that it's so important. Everyone from tiger, you know, tiger woods to yo-yo ma has something that they do to manage uh, their cognition <laughs> in some sense of the word to make it work for you because man, our consciousness can be an asset or it can be our greatest saboteur. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny too. Yeah. Like in major league baseball, they uh, like the psychological 
cognitive research and stat is like the most proprietary thing. Like that's the stuff they don't share with mm-hmm. and the teams don't share at all. You know what I mean? That's like the mm-hmm. problem because it is such a treasure trove and so valuable, you know, and, uh, and it's so cutting edge as well. I mean, um, it's really cool. That's really cool. In the but, military as well. I want oh, to add. of course. I mean, yeah. There's a book called Stealing Fire that kind of talks about like the flow states and the way that Navy SEALs operate and these incredibly stressful, very high stakes missions. And I, yeah, of course, mental game matters. Of course, your, your emotional state matters and those kinds of things. And so what are the tools that we, we have to work with that? And at this point, like, it's so cool because they're very available. Anybody can practice them and find them. That's awesome. And that's, and that's what Modacity is helping every musician do uh, day in, day in and day out. Uh, it's actually a great segue because I, I wanted to talk to you a bit about, uh, I mean, you're, I would say not a, you're kind of a rare blend because you're an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. A business owner and also a musician. And mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to me that many artists in general might benefit from having a little, taking a little bit more business-like approach to their art. Like, what do you think? Is it easy for you to wear both those hats? Is it a seamless transition between them? It's not easy, yeah. actually. I, yeah. I wish it were easier. And what you mentioned about about musicians having a more entrepreneurial hat, I totally agree with. And I, I mean, I, I went through a Silicon Valley accelerator program to found Modacity. Before that, I was totally off in, in some other weird land that I had gotten to as as an sort of music musician just going by myself into entrepreneur land. I joked that I had more apps than I had users. <laughs> I, I had a company called Music Star Games. It was a, a very fast failure learning experience, which we should all do. Absolutely. And, and uh, it wasn't until I went through the accelerator process that I was able to reach what we call some product market fit and have a process for creating a business, creating a product that actually has some legs. And I just thought, man, I wish they had taught me how to do this in music school. Like, how do you develop a, a music in concert with an audience that you know likes your music? And all you really need is like a thousand true fans paying you 10 bucks a month. And you've got a pretty decent income. <laughs> and at this point, for almost any niche, almost any kind of music, you can find a thousand fans. The process for doing that, though, is not well known yet in the in the artist world and i would so i would love to see more artists uh learn that and apply that i think a lot of artists just kind of view them as two so totally different things or they it's like or they're not that interested in the marketing side of things not, not that interested in the business side but like especially these days i mean um there's almost no author and i suspect that the same is true for artists that you aren't you have to do, you have to promote yourself more than, I mean, like no one's really going to do the promotion work for you. And that's it. Yeah. There's some kind of myth of the struggling artist as though it's more noble than a flourishing artist. Yes. (laughs) I would love to see more flourishing artists. (laughs) I mean, was it, was it, was jumping off and forming your own business a big leap of faith for you or did it feel pretty like the right time, right place? Like now let's do it. So. Yeah, I had to do it. I, I was, in Shanghai on tour with San Francisco Symphony. I was in a virtual reality arcade playing some game, I Beat Saber. I don't know, it's a sort of up and coming VR music game. And I, I just thought, holy crap, the future is here. And I've been thinking about making music software for 20 years and I've got to do this. And the other factor was that I, I could feel I had a career ending injury 
on the horizon. I knew from Kung Fu that uh, what it felt like to be effortless. And I knew that I wasn't being effortless in my playing and it was harder and harder to stay at the level of, of playing. You know, I was on tour with San Francisco Symphony and, and like, you know, one of the great orchestras. And I, I could hang, but I felt like the amount of work it took to hang was getting more and more. And my, my system was more and more fragile. And I knew what to do. I knew that I needed to retrain my body the same way that Tiger redid a swing a few years back. But I didn't want to do it without the software that I knew might 10x or 100x the pace of that learning. Wow. So I thought, yeah, the future is here. The time is now. VR is coming. Uh, we have everything available. I've got this sort of like looming physical, physical need. So I, and I thought also, look, I, I was a science guy. I was a cognitive science, computer science major. Um, and I took a leap of faith on music and it, it brought wonderful wonderful outcomes. I was so fortunate within two years of switching to music, I had a full-time job in a symphony. And I thought if I apply myself with that kind of diligence and vision, then uh, it, something, something good will happen if I really commit. For someone thinking now about starting out on their own, whether it's, whether it's in music or anything else, like what would you, what would you tell that person? Like, uh, you know, you get a couple, couple, couple gems of wisdom. What would you tell? What would you tell that person just starting out? I mean, my favorite simple gem of wisdom is everything's going to be okay. <laughs> everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but diligence, persistence, patience, and you're bound to be successful. And I, I'm FYI, I wouldn't consider myself to be successful yet as an entrepreneur. Okay, tell you me know? more. Yeah, you well. Figure- yeah, I mean, my, my standards for success are uh, having reached, you know, millions of musicians, not, not the thousands or tens of thousands that, that are using Modacity. Um, I think until, until anybody who wants to learn a musical instrument, anybody who wants to use the language of music has a platform where they can... Um, use that language socially with someone across the world to accelerate their skills, to accelerate their understanding, their expression, their communication. Until then, I, I don't really see myself as a success in the software space. Yeah, you know, I would, yeah, because I was thinking about what you said as far as music being its own type of language. And of course it is. It's, you know, and I mean, I would say that a lot of friendships that I have are found, you know, are sort of um, based on music, like whether I played music with, individuals growing up or, um, you know, later on or, or that just guys I go see like shows with or whatever, but there's, there's some kind of, there is definitely some kind of music has a relation, build, music has the ability to build relationships in a way that maybe our language doesn't, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know if you, you know, if you, I mean, music just communicates differently than language, right? I mean, yeah. 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 I don't know if you, you're aware of the Silk Road Ensemble, Yo-Yo's, Yo-Yo's group. Yeah. They, they have this mission of just bringing together all these musicians from different traditions who are absolute bosses at their traditions. You know, you have uh, Persian musicians or uh, Christina Pato playing the, the, the Spanish Basque uh, 
bagpipes <laughs> and they're like completely different instruments completely different traditions a lot of times they don't even speak the same language but they're able to come together and, and make these incredible concerts and the quality of watching them perform it's like i've never seen anything so engaging and i wish in this time when the world is, is kind of connected right we've got flights and we've got internet packets streaming around we've got fake news and from you know where going to you know where and it, we need that music to be flowing along these international channels to connect people. And it, you know, with that Silk Road Ensemble too, I bet part of the success there is how hard, or with any musician, how hard you're listening to your fellow musicians when you're playing together. And like how little people perhaps like listen now, right? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. um, you know, because everyone's, you know, everyone, in, in, as you said, it's a very, it's an over, we're kind of overloaded with sound bites and just, you know, like um, input, like input, you know, mm. on a day-to-day -day basis. And I wonder, I wonder how much of that has to do with just the musicians listening to one another as well. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. Listening is, you know, it's like one of the most important skills in life. It's not just listening to other musicians. We talked about mindfulness and actually being able to listen to yourself, being able to hear your thoughts, being able to hear the music that you're making, all of that, Right now, I think the balance is a little bit more on the, on the end of like judging rather than listening. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so building up that listening skill is, is crucial. And Modesty has a function that allows you to record yourself and then listen back and, and uh, work on specific aspects, right? Uh, the mm -hmm. app lets, mm -hmm. lets you do that, right? Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The deliberate practice idea was popularized by this 10,000 hours rule and Malcolm Gladwell. And yes. they found out that, you know, intentional, deliberate practice, surprise, surprise, is what differentiates elite achievers from sort of average achievers in sports, in music, uh, across the board. And the other thing, just general learning science principle is that speed of feedback really matters. So like you imagine a dog that um, makes a mess on the floor. <laughs> you don't want to wait a year <laughs> to let it know that that wasn't what you wanted or, or, you know, a friend, a loved one who says something, you don't want to wait two weeks. You want to just let them know in the moment most of the time. And for learning, can you imagine like if you shot a basketball and you didn't know until tomorrow, whether you got it right or you did, you're like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to check and see if I made that basket an hour from now. That would slow you down so much. And in music, we haven't had until recently the ability to just play something and listen back, play something and listen back. And because of that lag between what technology makes available and the pedagogical traditions that are in slow moving academic institutions, um, people haven't taken advantage of that feedback loop. So that's one of the primary purposes of Modacity is to give you that loop 10 X faster than you would if you weren't using the app. It's so important. That's, that's really awesome. Absolutely. You know, I, I think there's, I, I, as, a, as a musician, I always found sometimes there was a pretty big disconnect between, you know, what I thought I was playing and then what I actually was playing when I could eventually hear it, hear it again, you know, and, uh, yeah. Or what you think is important. Okay. When yeah. I hear myself, a lot of times I was focused on X, Y, Z, but all of a sudden I hear that my heart was in the wrong place or like, Oh wow. That intonation is really a thing. And then the deliberate practice process in the app asks you after you listen back to just focus on one top priority and then, you know, choose a strategy that you think is going to solve that. 
it's really just like experimentation, endless experimentation. Oh, I think that if I, uh, I think that if I imagine flowers, that it's going to sound more, more free. <laughs> and then you test that. Did that work? Yes. Or no. That, that happens a lot with, uh, in acting, you know, obviously you, um, you may be imagining some situation in your mind while acting out a different scenario, but somehow that scenario you're imagining informs your performance. I guess I never realized the same thing was true for musicians as well. That's interesting. So I always railed against that when I was studying, uh, <laughs> my teachers would tell me, you know, imagine that this is happening or imagine that your air is flowing through like a bellows. And no, I just want to know what to do with my body. Like, tell me how to control, control my throat muscle that I don't have direct conscious access to. Turns out visualization is really powerful. <laughs> they were right. They, they were right. I was wrong. <laughs> it's, it's funny though. I wanted, cause I wanted to circle back to the very beginning of our talk just a little bit because there is a difference. I think it might surprise some people that the way you approach music and like from more of a scientific, maybe mathematical perspective, would you say that's true? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just guessing. I try to approach it from an integrated perspective. Okay. Uh-huh. I see practice as the ultimate integration of art and science. And you, you can't really have one without the other. If it's just art, it's, um, it doesn't have the structure to grow. It doesn't have the soil of experimentation and learning and, and strategy. And if it's just science and it's devoid of that sort of ineffable je ne sais quoi human spirit of creation and spontaneity and, and not knowing that makes things so magical. Yeah. That's what's been hard about being an entrepreneur, to be honest. You know, when you asked me, was it easy? And it's not because I think in business right now sort of errs on the side of science and metrics and measuring and planning or you know, you got to execute the plan. And in music, like, actually, I remember I had a, a colleague, a wise colleague in the Hong Kong Philharmonic, and we had to rate our conductors on whether the performance was the same as the rehearsals. I was like, and he was like, I don't want the performance to be the same as the rehearsals. You know, I want it to be different. Yeah. And I, I think that that's been the hardest thing moving between the two is remembering to have that magic spontaneity in my playing. And then also remembering that I can have that in my business as well. Like a little room for not knowing is okay. Yeah. So what else do you guys have coming down the pipeline? It's an, an app that practices for you so that you can watch TV. Um, yes. That's what we've all been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's a bunch coming down the road. I mean, the, the vision that I have is a platform sort of an AI-powered, socially connected music practice platform. Okay. So you get the benefit of interacting with other people and getting their feedback on your playing and being able to share your feedback. But the power of sort of assistive intelligence that tells you when to practice, what to practice, how to practice, gives you ideas, whatever, whenever you need it, sort of like a built-in coach. And yeah, sort of in the short term where we're going is implementing spaced repetition, which is an algorithm that reminds you exactly when you need to practice something to prevent forgetting because there's a very well-documented biochemical curve of forgetting. So you can practice something too much and you've wasted repetitions or you can practice something not enough and you get forgetting in between. You want to just hit it at exactly the right time and there's a curve to it. It's not like three days, three days. It's not linear. And that's hard to manage by yourself. So we, we just compute yeah. that for you. 
I mean, I guess I was just in general in like life, I guess I was aware of there being that curve, right? That repetition curve that, um, you know, kids forget things if, so over a certain amount of time, but, uh-huh. but, you know, if, if you don't teach, if you don't reinforce it, you know, mm-hmm. but I guess I would love to read that or read more about that. I didn't know. I never occurred to me if someone was actually like studying this and making it. Oh yeah. It's been I mean. since the 1900s. I think Ebbinghaus is the guy who, who yeah. mapped out the curves. And since then, uh, right now it's being used massively by, for example, med school students, law school students have to memorize a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. Language learners. It's used in the CIA. Um, I wouldn't doubt if it's being used in a proprietary way by sports teams, but it's not being used by musicians. And why not? Let's do it. Yeah, for sure. Nobody's built the app. Yeah, it's time to do it. This has been a great conversation. You know what I mean? Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I've enjoyed every single minute. So um, Me too. I want to let you get back to the important work, but really uh, thanks for going all out here and hanging out with us. So, My pleasure. There's one final call to action I want to make to Absolutely. everybody listening. Please. So... I am a practice nerd. I love practice. That's why I have a practice app. And I want to invite everybody to think of themselves as a musician. Whether you play an instrument or sing or whether you just listen to music, you're a musician. Uh, Unless you're in like the 0.04% of the population who is amusical, then you're probably not listening to this podcast. But everybody's musical. We move musically. We listen musically we speak or sing musically, start to think of your involvement in music as a practice. And what that means is that you have agency over it. You have, con- you have some control over it. It's a practice. You repeat it. You listen to songs, whether it's just in the car every day, that's a practice. And if it's a practice, you can improve it. You can make it better. You can make it serve your highest intentions. You can make it a vehicle for expressing yourself, for actualizing yourself, for making meaning and progress in your life. I wanna invite everybody to start thinking about their relationship with music as a practice, as an art and a science. And if it turns out that you want to be deliberate about that, go ahead and download Modacity and, and use that to practice. That is awesome, man. This could be, yeah, um, it sounds like something that could be truly life-changing if people decide to, to embrace it, you know? It has been for me, yeah. And that's our show. Thanks again to Mark Gelfo for taking the time to talk to me. Just as a reminder, all listeners and friends of the A440 podcast can get a lifetime subscription to Modacity Premium. Just go to modacity.co backslash A440 and follow the link for a lifetime access for the very, very affordable rate of $115. All right, all. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Let's jam again soon.